Go ahead and get uh, find cha Daniel chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 23. Go ahead and find those. I'll give you a couple seconds. Of course, we started Daniel last week there in chapter 1 and talked about how uh, Babylon had taken all basically the most promising of the men first in the captivity. So um, as all the princes and you know all the certain children of Israel and of the king's seed, all those princes, as they went into Babylon, the besiegement of Jerusalem continued for some time. That's actually going to be an important fact for you to know as we go into verse 1 of chapter 2. But uh, and then you remember how Daniel had gotten favor there with the prince of the eunuchs, and they wanted to give him the portion of the king's meat from the table for three years and all this. And uh, he did not want to defile himself with that portion of the king's meat. They wanted a vegetarian diet, basically this pulse and stuff, and made that request and told him to try him for ten days, and at the end of the ten days, look on their continents. And so God had made a way for... Uh, Daniel and um, <clears throat> the rest of them there, the, the of the of the king's seed and the portion. Let me, I can't even remember the names. Let me find them here. Uh, Michelle, Azaria, Hananiah. I always want to say Sh Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but then part of me feels bad for doing that because those names are actually an insult to them because those are after Babylonian gods and 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 they changed their name. But you'll notice this even though. Babylon changed those boys' names, he couldn't change their character, amen? Call them what you will, but you couldn't change the way they behaved. And so they, they stayed right with God, and uh, God took care of them, right? And so now we go into chapter 2, and I'll begin to read here in verse 1, and it says this in the scripture, And in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams, wherewith his spirit was troubled, and his sleep break from him. Then the king commanded to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans for to shew the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac, O king, live forever, tell thy servants the dream, and we will shew the interpretation. Uh, the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The thing is gone from me, if ye will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof, ye shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made a dunghill. Has anyone ever had a, a dream where they woke up and they remembered having the dream, but they couldn't remember exactly what the dream was, Right? And so now this is a much different situation than that, but I'm just pointing out the similarity there. And then you're like, man, and you try to remember it and you're like, what was it? It's like, I know I have something like this, but you can't remember exactly. And so he, he's telling them, uh, no, you have to, you have to tell me what the dream was and the interpretation. Uh, so there in, um, verse five, the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the thing is gone from me. If ye will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof, ye shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made a dunghill. Well, I mean, that's a whew, quite a predicament there for them. But if ye shew the dream and the interpretation thereof, ye shall receive of me gifts and rewards, 
and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and the interpretation thereof. They answered again and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation of it. The king answered and said, I know of a certainty that you would gain the time, because ye see the thing is gone from me. But if ye will not make known unto me the dream, there is but one decree for you. For ye have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me, till the time be changed. Therefore tell me the dream, and I shall know that ye can show me the interpretation thereof. The Chaldeans answered before the king and said, There is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Therefore there is no king, lord, nor ruler that asks such things that any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. And it is a rare thing that the king requireth, and there is none other that can show it before the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this cause the king was angry and very furious, and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. So we'll stop there for a second. Wow. How'd you like to have how'd you like to work for that guy, huh? <laughs> I mean, whew. Give him what he wants or else. Uh, so let's just go back over this, starting in verse one. The reason I pointed out to you the um, the way the Babylon was taking them into captivity is, is significant is because if you don't keep that in mind, one may imagine a timeline discrepancy here in the first because it says in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. And so then we have this entire situation play out during the second year of his reign, but it says, uh, you know, in Daniel chapter 1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. Um, and so you kind of get a different time frame. So the reason it's important to understand, the word of God is perfect and preserved, and there's no discrepancies in it. If there's a discrepancy that we see, it's because our mind has not achieved understanding of what exactly God's word is telling us. And so here, what I'm submitting to you is I look through this, look through a couple concordances, I addressed a couple different commentaries on it. But the second year of the reign of, Ke of Nebuchadnezzar, it's not a timeline discrepancy, it's explained as this. The men were taken into Babylon before the siege of Jerusalem was finished, and so the date is actually set from the time that Nebuchadnezzar finished his campaign over Jerusalem. It's not necessarily a reference to when Nebuchadnezzar took the throne in Babylon. It's a reference to when he began to rule over Jerusalem and Judah as he had taken over those regions. And so um, by, the, by the time this had happened, by the time the campaign in Jerusalem, Judah was finished, Daniel had already done the time appointed by the king and done the whole fasting with, uh, from the king's meat and proved himself and had already been given um, that position of authority there in Babylon. And so as we look forward, as we look forward into the chapter, it's kind of important to, to visualize that. So now here's Daniel. Um, everything's been finished up in Jerusalem and now all of them are in captivity. And Daniel, so as the ones that came in later, they come in and they see that Daniel is in a position of uh, leadership there in this uh, new order of things that they're addressing here in Babylon. And so 
Um, it, it's just it's it's just interesting to me. And so, wait do you see how this plays out as we study this chapter. This is really fascinating stuff. So, that said, we go to Nebuchadnezzar dreaming a dream. And so he has this dream, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep was broken. So you see what's happened there? He's had a dream. God's troubling Nebuchadnezzar with the dream. His spirit is all, he's just like, he's disturbed at what the contents of it was. He can't remember exactly, but now he's losing sleep over it as well. How many of us here don't function well if we lose enough sleep for long enough? I'll, I'll raise my hand real high. I like my sleep. I don't know about you. But it is true uh, if somebody is troubled, distraught, upset inside themselves, it causes them to be restless and toss and turn and things going through their mind and not be able to sleep, right? So um, Nebuchadnezzar dreams a troubling dream. Uh, let us take heed to his condition here. Nebuchadnezzar was troubled by God because he was not right with God. Amen? And so let me submit this to you this morning. Do your dreams trouble you at night? Maybe it's a sign that you need to get something right with God. If you're restless, you're having problems sleeping, you're not, there's something going on, you're, you're troubled in your spirit, that is a sign to us to communicate with God and to pray. And ask, Lord, what is it? Sometimes, and I'll give you two things. That, that it can keep me up at night is not necessarily something I didn't repent of or something like that. That certainly can imply, I'll give you one that's not necessarily in context to this passage, but has anyone here ever been awakened in the night with just not able to understand, like, why am I awake right now? I just awake. God sometimes does that for intercessory prayer. God can wake somebody up in the middle of the night and put somebody on your heart and you may be laying in bed and thinking, God, I really don't want to pray right now. I just want to sleep. He won't let you. And you may have experienced that. You better just pray for that person that God puts on your heart. And that can happen at 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning. Something just, it's like you just wake up out of your sleep. And you just feel the need to start praying for somebody. Will you obey that if that happens to you? Because that person needs that prayer. But it also points something important out here. God is in control of all things, including how much rest we get. <laughs> Amen? I mean, at the, at, it, He is sovereign and He's in control. And, and, um, and, and so the, the reality is, is He is in control of even our sleep patterns, if He wants to be. Amen? And so if somebody is not right with God, as we find here with Nebuchadnezzar, conviction and things for the sake of conviction god may keep somebody up and then lead them to a place where if you ever want to get a good night's rest you need to just go ahead and heed to the call to repent or what can i get personal testimony one of the things that drew me to the understanding of my need for jesus christ is when i first heard the gospel and while i'd been kind of searching god for a while and then a guy named brother judah he I'm still friends with him, um, but uh, he lives in Missouri now. But he was the guy that came in and preached the actual gospel that, you know, I, I was convicted of my need to get south of being saved. But he shared a verse with me a few weeks before that, several weeks before that, 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Well, I known I'd done a lot of unrighteousness. And so I was coming to a place of understanding that my unrighteousness, the Bible calls sin. I've sinned against God and thy sins are not forgiven. And now I'm troubled inside of me because of it. And one of the things that happened was, of course, I was locked up. Everybody knows that. <clears throat> not proud of that, but you know, God had to put me where he had to put me for me to get saved. Amen. So I can't change the testimony, but that's what happened. And I, I started losing sleep and I was tossing, turning, remembering every bad thing I'd ever done. And just, it was really just a feeling terrible for decisions I had made, feeling terrible for people I'd hurt, feeling terrible. And that I was losing sleep. So a few weeks later, when Brother Judah made it into the prison to actually do a preaching service, all I knew is I needed rest. I needed something. I needed to be relieved from this. And he preached the gospel. It was a very clear and concise message. You want the burden lifted? Repent and accept Jesus as Savior. And I, I was immediate. I knew the whole God was talking to me. And you know what? For the rest of the time I was locked up, I was serving the Lord. It didn't matter what was going on. I slept like a baby. Amen? Because God let me rest. So God's in control of those things. So we'll, we'll move on there. But he was troubled. Uh by God and and you know the reality is Nebuchadnezzar troubled Israel and now God troubles Nebuchadnezzar amen when we seek to trouble others don't be surprised if God troubles us amen we want to trouble somebody else then why are we get a, a surprised if God decides you want to trouble them I'll trouble you even if we think we're justified because the person who does the judgments and all that is God, right? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Uh, so here we've got the king. He can't get any sleep. Um, I also point this out. All the wealth of all the kingdoms, this king has taken over all these, all these people listen to him, obey him. They're, they're afraid of the king. He's got all the wealth. He's taken in all the... Uh, gold and everything from Jerusalem, from the temples. He's got all this. But none of it could free him from his troubled mind and broken sleep. Amen. He had all the worldly things, but he was still going crazy because God had troubled him with this dream and he still couldn't get any relief from it. Amen. Uh, so all those things, you have, to, you have to seek God. And that's what the world does. They want to go to their cars, their position, their career, their house, this they're, they, to relieve them, of uh, make them feel good about themselves, even though their sin is they're living under condemnation if they've not accepted Christ as Savior. The only thing that's going to relieve the burden of sin is a relationship with Jesus Christ. So we've established this. Here's the king. Can't get any rest. Going into verse 2, the king commanded to call oh, the magicians and astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans, what are they going to do, right? Think about it. Doesn't this sound familiar? His first instinct, calling for magicians and astrologers. I think of somebody else in the Bible that did that. Can you think of who I'm thinking of? Well, yeah, Pharaoh. I was thinking Pharaoh, but there may be lots of examples, actually, since I asked. But Pharaoh, he called for the, uh, he called for the astrologers and magicians when he was confronted with Moses and Aaron. Now you have Nebuchadnezzar, who's got Daniel in his kingdom, right? Uh, and he's calling for 
astrologers and, and everything else and all these magicians and everything else uh, to show the king his dream. So they came and stood before the king. Um, hmm. It's just an interesting thing there because if he was smart, he would have called for Daniel first. Uh, however, he didn't do that. And so the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream. My spirit was troubled to know the dream. And so this is what they do. They speak to the king and they, they want to tell him what he wants to hear, but they want him to explain to them what he actually saw first. So if he doesn't understand the interpretation of it, but he gives them all the information about it, then they can turn around and say whatever they want. How's he going to know? Right? Where is the confirmation? He just has to take their word for it. That's what a lot of the false prophets and things working in the world today do. The people that follow them have no way to validate whether they're true or not. And they just take their word for it because they put on some kind of show of uh, whatever. And so here's the thing. Daniel's not been mentioned in this cause of figuring out the king's issue at this point in time. And he's gone to all these false sorcerers that do all this stuff. They're supposed to know all this stuff. They don't know a thing. They didn't then and they don't now. Horoscopes are false. All the stuff that people go to other than God, all that stuff will not tell you anything that is real. It's all deceptive. Um, and people have to be careful not to mess with that stuff because... Uh, there's a lot of unclean spirits and things that are revolving around the world of mag magic and witchcraft and all that stuff. And somebody can really find them their spiritual condition in a bad place if they meddle with that stuff too much. Uh, it cannot. We have the Bible. We have a. We can have a relationship with Christ. We can pray to God through the Holy Spirit. God can reveal His will to us. He communicates with us. We don't need to go anywhere else. Amen. But here he goes for uh, the magicians and all this stuff. But I want to give you this today. God's true servants are always exalted in the end. God's true servants always get exalted in the end. So here's the king. He's going to go to the wrong things first. Let me give you a couple verses on this and then we'll go further. Uh Write this down, 1 Peter 5, 6. Write that down, I'll read it to you. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Amen? Daniel's being overlooked at this point, but he'll be exalted in due time, and God will make sure of that. Amen? Because as the king, as we went over those several verses, the king goes to them and he has this back and forth with them and they tell him, nobody can do what you're asking us to do. And the king's like, well, you'll do it or you'll die. Right? So the stakes were high. Uh, hold your spot there um, in Daniel 2. Go to James chapter 4 for a second. James chapter 4. go and look at verses 6 through 10 these are important verses to keep in mind as we go forward into the next several verses here <clears throat> on the thought of God's true servants being exalted in the end we see there that humility 
uh, is required. Amen. Daniel was very humble in the way he went about things. Um, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Now look at James chapter 4 starting in verse 6. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Amen. He resists the proud. Pride is so opposite of his character that he won't even work with somebody um, that is acting on pride. Uh, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You want victory over over the devil? Is the devil getting into certain areas of your life? First thing is submitting to God. You got to submit to God first before you can resist the devil. But if you're submitted to God and you're resisting the devil, he will flee from you. It's a promise of the Bible. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy uh, to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Does anyone here need to be lifted up by the Lord today? Humble yourselves before God. Um, what, what is, what's going on there with verse 9 of that chapter? I, I, there's a lot of ways of applying that. One, one way I look at it is, it's okay if something's wrong in your life to be broken by that thing being wrong and then to take that brokenness to God in order to be lifted up by the Lord. Some people live in a world where they feel they can never show anyone else that anything could ever be wrong in their life. And no matter what's going on, everything's fine, fine, everything's good, and, and even if it's not. Amen? And in, some, in the world of Christianity, unfortunately, there's people that feel like, and, and not, not a fault to their church or the people they're around, they feel like if they show that there's things happening in their life that's caused them trouble, things are going wrong in one area or another, they feel like they cannot communicate that or it'll look like they're lacking in faith or have less faith than other people they're around and so they keep it to themselves because they want to show how much faith they have no matter what's going on and so nothing's ever wrong and they can you know they're headstrong they got you know the lord's going to get them through and they're going through and what's really happening is they're breaking on the inside it's okay we live in a broken fallen world and things can go very wrong for any one of us it's okay to be broken if you're broken by the things going on in your life. And if that is the case with anyone at any point in time, my prayer is certainly not, but if that were to happen, it's okay to take that to the Lord and say, Lord, I am mourning right now. I am, in, I am really broken by this right now. And I really need your help. Because I really feel like I don't know how to handle it. I don't know what I... And and you know what? It's a promise. If you humble yourself, God will lift you up. God will lift you up. This world will break us, but God will lift us up. Amen. And I'm thankful for that today. So here, uh, as we, we, we deal with this, here's a king who's, you know, he's got everything going on on the outside, but this man's falling apart on the inside. He's going to all the wrong things to try to get the answers he needs. What he needs to do is turn to God and turn to God's man. And so here's the king's servants. Um, they've landed themselves in quite a predicament. Amen? And, uh, and so that's, there's an illustration there that I think is kind of important. 
there is a world that wants uh, a religion and a minister to tell them what they want to hear and pat them on the back and encourage them always and nothing's you see what I'm saying but at the same time when those ministers false ministers if you will they go down that path they get the same sentiment that these folks found with Nebuchadnezzar you're going to tell me what I'm telling you to tell me or else for these men Literally, the king was going to kill him. But today, many of ministers went down that rabbit hole, uh, got snared with in that process, and when they no longer gave the people what they wanted, the people just, they just cut them off and kick them out. Yes, that happens. Um, and so that's a dangerous game to play. And so they played this game with King Nebuchadnezzar and now they find themselves in the predicament that follows and that's their own life is on the line. So they stand before the king. He does not remember the dream, but he expects them to interpret it. And his expectation as we went through there in those verses is twofold. One, he expects them to help him remember the dream. And then two, help them understand the dream. So they want them, he wants them to explain what was dreamed so that he remembers, yes, that is it. Now tell me what it means so that he would also understand it. If they cannot perform this task, they will die. And they do not have much time as to not be able to make something up once the king has forgotten all about the dream. And that is what he was referring to about... Um, uh, the changing till the time be changed there in verse 9. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me the interpretation thereof. He's saying, I'm not just going to give you however much time you need to do this. There's a time frame involved. So not only does this king want to control, you know, want to control them, they need to tell him what he wants to hear, they need to give him the understanding of it, but then they need to do it on his on their on his idea when what the timing should be. Amen. We don't tell God when he's going to reveal something to us. Amen. Uh, we don't tell God when he's going to answer a prayer or answer a request. He's telling God what God's going to do. Basically, although he's talking to these false servants. So they, so they plead their case to him. No man can do this on earth. Has any man ever expected it? So we see here an illustration of the false religious ministers under the condemnation of God. Really, they're condemned for their practice because now they're in a situation they can't get out of. So they've been caught in their own snare. Uh, they conclude here in uh, verse... Let's look again. Uh, how far did I go? i got to find my spot. I'm looking for that reference of God's. Yeah, look at verse 11. It is a rare thing that the king requireth, and there is none other that can show it before the king except the gods. And so remember Babylon, they had multiple gods. It's how they believed. Um, whose dwelling is not with flesh. And so they say the only person who can do this is, is a god, is a little, you know, a god. So they believed in multiple gods. Can I give you this today? This ideology, something similar, and I'm going to warn against it, it's showing up today in charismatic churches. I don't know if you're familiar with the term and what charismatic means kind of an offshoot of Pentecostal style churches um, and so but it's called the charismatic movement the ch charismatic churches and what they believe in is 
manifestation of sign gifts, right? So they believe in all the apostolic signs being manifested again. Uh, they believe in, in interpretations and, uh, and, uh, and basically what they'll do is they'll have, you know, they have a lot of people in there and there's a guy who, you know, if you're a minister there, you know, you've had to proven some with some you know miraculous works and sign gifts and miracles and so then they i, I don't know i'm not gonna get in trouble with all that but basically somebody will so-called put on a display of these sign gifts and then somebody else will interpret it but can nobody else there knows right but what happens is they people they exalt a man and so they, they want to follow him and be obedient to him because if he can do these things and these people interpreted what he was saying this in this language. and they, I mean, they believe people are talking in angel languages and all this other stuff. You know, look, I'm not trying to uh, knock people for what they believe. That's not really biblical. There's a lot of interpretation of the Bible that's been broken down for someone to arrive at those conclusions. But here's something that happens. They treat that person, that individual that has the manifestation of all these gifts, and they will call him, or he will refer to himself as a little God. He's a little God. This is really, there are books on Christian bookshelves about this stuff. So as a pastor, I have to, we confront it in the Word of God, let me address it, because I don't want to see people get confused about this kind of stuff. All right, so... Um, they believe this little God person is super spiritual powers, and so man follows them under this deception. Let me give you a Bible verse on this. Go to 2 Thessalonians, if you will. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Let me read to you verses 9 and 10. This idea of a man being a little God. Verses 9 and 10 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Tells us explicitly that that kind of mentality is leading people directly to Antichrist deception. It says even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. So there's going to be a time of deceptive signs, um, displays of powers, deceptive wonders, if you will. And in verse 10, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And so they put all the emphasis on the signs and all that stuff and miracles and all these things that they're doing. Listen, it's very simple. If there was a man walking the earth today that could put their hands on somebody that was blind and restore their sight or heal a disease, wouldn't you think that he would never stop? I mean, wouldn't you think that he'd be in every hospital, every children's hospital, every place where there's people dealing with medical conditions and and they come up with these well first of all you got to pay to get in which one and then two there's you know all these they make all these stuff out and almost all looks staged to me i don't i don't know but there is a possibility that somebody could have some kind of miracle performed for the purpose of them not glorifying god but in order to follow man that's deception and that's something to watch out for and so 
It tells us this, that they put all the emphasis on that. What, what ends up happening is the emphasis is on man. The emphasis is on miracles. The emphasis is on manifestation of sign gifts. The emphasis is exalting a person instead of God. And so people sit there and they follow along with that stuff and they never hear the gospel and they never get saved and they're still in deception and they're condemned because they're not right with God because they're there for the wrong reasons. Amen? And so that's a, a dangerous a dangerous thing to happen. But the reason I'm pointing that out is because when you see what happens with Daniel here, then you'll understand why at, after this point, the people of Babylon, Daniel's a god now. Because he's done this thing. And so they, all they know is, if he's done that, he's a god. Amen? This is not for people in churches today to say, well, just like Daniel in the Bible said, he's a little god. You know, we're little gods. No, you're not taking Scripture in context. God sent Daniel along to do the miracle interpretation and that is how he began to be exalted because this needed to happen in order for God's plan to be fulfilled. The main thing was not the miracle of Daniel. The main thing was that Daniel's life in Babylon glorified God and accomplished God's will and accomplished God's purpose. So God's way and servant is often overlooked and that's what we're going to see here. So let's look at this. We'll go a little further. I'll try to finish up uh, the next several verses here. So, verse 14, you know all these other folks in the land, the wise men, all these people, they think they're going to die now. Then Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, which was gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. So Daniel's very prudent, right? He's paying attention to what's going on and he sees something's not right in the land. He has a discernment. Men of God honestly can discern oftentimes if something's just amiss. Um, many times, any Christian can tell if something's going on with somebody. They can, you can sense it in your spirit. Verse 15, He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree so hasty from the king that Arioch made the thing known to Daniel? Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time and that he would show the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, his companions, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So, again, the king had a summons to bring them all, the wise men of the area, before him to go over this thing of the dream. Now, Daniel was completely overlooked in this at first. They did not even consider him. Now, while Daniel had not interpreted dreams up until this time, he had not done that yet, at the time that the king completely ignored Daniel's presence in the kingdom, Daniel was famous for prudence and prayer. He had power with God and man. We had dis uh, discovered in chapter 1 he had had favor with God and with man. By prudence he dealt with man. By prayer he talked to God. He had prevailed in all of his causes and yet he wasn't even summoned to appear with the other wise men before the king. He wasn't even considered to be helpful in the matter. Think about that. I mean, the one thing that they needed 
is the one thing that they were that was being overlooked. Let me give you this. If God's servant in any situation is not helpful, it's because the people are not utilizing God's servant to be a help to them. Or let me word it this way. If God's man isn't helping you, it's probably your fault, not his. They overlooked Daniel. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't go to him. They didn't respect him. They didn't use him for the gifts that God had given him. They completely overlook him. And then when they're carrying about and distraught and in trouble and Daniel knows something's up and he inquires about it, um, Daniel learns of the situation. Then he prays for God to reveal to him the dream and the interpretation, right? Because the Bible tells us to do what? Cast all your care upon him. For he careth for us. Whatever the matter of our care, it must also be the matter of our prayer. If we have trouble, but we're not giving it to God, we're not utilizing the resources God gives us, if we're having trouble and we're not praying about it, and we're not seeking God's word about it, and we're not seeking God's counsel about it, then we can't get mad if we don't get help from it. We don't get help from it, right? We have to use the resources that God gives us. Now, I love this in verse 18. They would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning the secret that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And so he's not addressing the, you know, he's saying, Lord, have mercy on us as a result of God's mercy on the righteous, even the unrighteous of the land are spared. Um, but it tells us that they prayed, um, and, and here's some things that we see they prayed together. Right? Him and his companions. And so I see this. I visualize this. They were united in prayer together for the cause. Church, we need to be united together in prayer. That's why, you know what beautiful thing we have here? We have our prayer meeting on Wednesday nights. That's a time of the week where all God's children here at New Lexington Bible Church, we come together and we pray together in unity for the benefit of those around us, for ourselves, for our church, our community, our loved ones, our friends, our family. And so it's important that we lift these things up together. It's important that we pray for one another. And the reality is, is the Bible tells us a threefold cord is not quickly broken. When we're united in this cause of prayer, we're, you know, God moves in a special way when God's people are together in prayer over a matter. Amen. And so aren't you thankful for all the prayers you've seen answered in your Christian life? And isn't it a joy when you're praying with somebody for the answer to a prayer and then the prayer gets answered and then you get to share that joy with them that God answered that prayer that everyone was. It's great when one person's prayer gets answered, but there's even more rejoicing when it's a collective group of people praying for the same thing and everyone rejoices together. Amen. So they prayed over this. Let's finish up these few more verses, 19 through 23 here. Look at this. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the Lord. For wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness and the light dwelleth with him. You know what? If there's something that you need to know, 
God's not going to withhold that from you. It's about your communication with him. Amen. God's willing to answer those prayers. He's willing to reveal these things to us through prayer. And those things that absolutely are not for us to have a complete understanding for, he will at least give us the assurance of understanding that's something that you'll know when you get here with me. Because you'll have a peace over the fact that he hasn't revealed it to you. So you can still have things that you don't understand and be at peace with it. So he knoweth what is in darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who has given me wisdom and might, and has made known unto me now what we desired of thee, for thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. So God's man went to God. God answered the prayer. He revealed it. He revealed the matter to Daniel so that Daniel can act on the benefit of Israel in Babylon, but also to, to answer the king's question. Of course, we'll get further into what exactly the dream was and what the answer to his inquiry was later. But blessed be the name of the Lord. You see how God worked in that situation? And so whatever you're facing today, you have to give it to the Lord. You have to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. You have to give it to God. You have to talk to God. You have to seek God's counsel. You have to use God's word. If you don't use the resources, oftentimes you won't get the revelation or the understanding that you desire and need. Amen. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for our Sunday school class this morning and the time together for the lesson. God, help us apply this truth in our life and um, to utilize the resources you've given us, not overlook the things uh, that you've clearly revealed um, and not to try to put your revelations to us on a timetable, but to accept your sovereignty and will in our lives. And God, for those things that trouble us, those things that we are uh, wrestling with or that, that any may be having a hard time with, God, help us seek you in prayer, in humility, and also in your word, and to desire to know what it is that you want us to learn from those situations, that we can live pleasing to you, Lord, and everyone here wants to live a life that's pleasing to you and surrendered to you. And um, God, I ask for your help with us doing that. God, we need you to do that. We need the guidance of your Holy Spirit. We need your help to yield each and every day. Lord, forgive us where we have failed you in this and help us um, to do better, Lord. We love you. We thank you. We need you. We ask that you will bless our worship service this morning and um, that you will be blessed by our worship and praise. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the time together and another wonderful day in your house, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.